Hello and welcome to Kerrang! Back Issues. I'm your host Stephen and this week we'll be looking at issue number 550, June the 17th, 1995, £1.45. The cover stars for this week's episode are Three Years in the Life of Pearl Jam, World Exclusive Gossard Tells All, plus Metallica Arctic Gig Shocker, Save £8 on albums at Virgin, Iron Maiden UK Dates, Red in Lineup, It's Grunge-tastic, On the Road with Skunk and Nancy and Honeycrack, Bon Jovi LP Exclusive, Reef Get Naked, Foo Fighters Lift Off in London, The Kerrang Interview Soul Asylum, The Heaviest Show on Earth, Paradise Lost and Machine Head Destroy the Dynamo Massive Festival Report, Plus Cancer CD for a Quid and Win Extremes Guitar. Jesus. They have pretty much filled up every single gap on the cover of Krang this week with words. There's a little picture of Eddie Vedder, but, you know, he's he's almost hidden by all of the words. I thought last week's episode, or sorry, issue of Kerrang! had so many uh, things written on the cover, but this one has outdone it. For those that uh, listened to last week's episode, you will notice that in your feed there was a bonus episode as well. So uh, me and my friends over at... Uh, free with this month's issue podcast got together and we talked about the free tape that was given away so if you get a chance go and listen to that if you'd like to get in contact with us here at Kerrang is back issues <laughs> can you tell that I haven't done a podcast for a little bit so I've been away um, I took a I took a small holiday and um, I had to record a few podcasts before I went away to make sure that they were out each week uh, so I managed to do three podcasts in a week which I thought was quite good uh, going but yeah, as you can tell, I haven't done a podcast for about a couple of weeks now, so I'm a little bit rusty. If you would like to get in contact with us here at Kerrangback Issues, we can be contacted via Instagram, Kerrangback Issues, Twitter, Kerrangpod, and email, Issues at gmail.com. This issue, as you will already know from what I said about how much is on the cover, is absolutely jam-packed. So let's jump straight into it and start off with a swift word from the editor. It's been a week of bloody chaos. Make that chaos. Last Friday, Chaos 95, the first ever Kerrang! Carlsberg tour, hit the road in Bradford and proceeded to stomp all over the UK. A perfect prelude to the second Kerrang! Awards on June the 20th. Boasting the hardy talents of US acid punk's warrior soul, rap metal upstarts Clawfinger, Essex Herbert's head swim, industrial noise nicks Misery Loves Company and throaty compare crusher, the tour proved to be such a success that we're still reeling from it. So much so that we haven't managed to get our act together sufficiently to file a report on the bloody thing till next week. What we have managed to do is get a set of virgin vouchers together that will get you two quid off each of the albums by the four bands involved with Chaos 95. You'll find them on page 23. You'll also find them useful at your local virgin megastore. Don't say we never do nothing for you. Till next week, stay clean. Phil Alexander, editor. P.S. Pictured above with yours truly are Sven Gully's Dave and D. The Cannock Crunchers we dubbed Donuts in Kerrang's Gossip column two weeks ago had a point to make. To illustrate the difference between Donuts and Canadians, the doughy duo popped into Kerrang headquarters and handed us a jumbo box of Dunkin' Donuts. Laugh, we scoffed a lot. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Mayhem the loudest news first, and Metallica are to play a gig in the Arctic. 
Metallica will play a one-off show on the weekend of September the 4th and 5th in the Arctic Circle. The San Franciscan superstars have been lined up to top the bill at the annual Polar Beach Party, which is organised by the Molson Ice Beer Company, and takes place in the tiny Canadian town of Tuktoyak Tuk, the most northerly point on the North American continent. The running order is completed by Hull and Veruca Salt, and its superstar lineup will perform for a mere 200 people. The audience will actually be selected at random from a sweepstake that Molson Ice is currently promoted throughout the United States and Canada. The Polar Beach Party will conclude Molson's Ice series of free out there weekend live events, all of which feature a selection of top rock acts and offer free weekend trips for the respective sweepstake winners. The first show takes place in Newfoundland on January the 1st, Canada Day, and features Moist, The Tea Party, and I Mother Earth. The second will go ahead in the Rocky Mountains near Kelowna, British Columbia in August and feature Offspring and Collective Soul. To enter the Polar Beach Party prize draw, fans have to pick up an entry form from any of the outlets nationwide that sell Molson Ice Beer, fill it in and send it into a central emailing address. Entrants can also look for the 10 instant win grand prize coupons that are hidden in Molson Ice bottles. Each one automatically guarantees the holder a ticket to the gig. The closing date for the competition is August the 7th. The first 190 names out of the hat win a seat at the show. The winners will be flown up to the Arctic Circle on a private jet care of Molson Ice and treated to a luxury four-day break, climaxing with what is being billed as a private concert under the Northern Lights. Molson Ice have also taken out a site on the internet to promote the shows. The site which can be emailed on http colon forward slash forward slash molsonice.com is made up of 30 different sections carrying exclusive reports on all the bands involved. The company are also selling a range of events, jackets and t-shirts, proceeds from which are apparently being donated to marine conservation charities. Nevertheless, there have been a few raised eyebrows and the likes of Metallica Hull and Offspring involving themselves in this type of corporate event. However, the explanation may lie in the seven-figure fee that Metallica are rumoured to have been given to headline the show. Stop Press and P, the band put together by butthole surfer Gibby Haynes and actor Johnny Depp, will release their first album from Capitol in late August, early September. Red Cross are about to start work on their new album, apparently to be produced by one of the Stone Temple pilots. Heart will mark their 20th anniversary with a new live album and video in August. The album The Road Home was recorded at Seattle's Backstage Theatre, while the video was filmed at the City's Moor Theatre. Pitchshifter will support Body Count at London Grand on July the 14th, and Marillion will play a one-off show at London's Mean Fiddler on June the 18th, where they'll be airing songs from ULP, Afraid of Sunlight. Pearl Jam and Neil Young will headline the final night of Reading 95 as exclusively revealed by Mayhem on May the 20th. Young will top the Reading bill on Sunday, August 27th and he'll be joined on stage by Pearl Jam men Mike McCready, Jeff Amen and Jack Irons. The trio also play on all the tracks on Young's new album Mirrorball, which will be released through reprise on June 26th. Pearl Jam frontman Eddie Vedder and guitarist Stone Gossard make selective guest appearances on the record. Young Pearl Jam will be supported on the Sunday by Soundgarden. Chris Cornell and co pulled out of their special guest slot at Reading last year. At present, they're writing material for their new album in Seattle. The rest of the main stage Sunday will feature new US sensations White Zombie, Mud Honey, Babes in Toyland, Tad, No Effects, and Pennywise, and Reef, Urge Overkill, and Ash will all be in action on the second stage. Smashing Pumpkins will headline the first Reading 95 night on Friday, August the 25th. Band will release their new double album Melancholy at the end of the summer. They'll be back by Green Day, making their UK festival debut, and Hole will be playing Reading for the second year in a row. 
Meanwhile, rising Canuck stars, moist royal trucks and guided by voices will do the honours on the second stage. Foo Fighters are the main attraction on the second stage on Saturday, August the 26th, while Skunk and Etsy go on early on the main stage on the least rock-friendly day. Dave Grohl's hotly tipped post-Nirvana combo released their self-titled debut album through Roswell Parlophone on June the 26th. A single This Is A Call will precede the album on June the 12th. It'll be backed uh, on 7-inch by Winnebago while the 12-inch and CD versions add Podunk. Pennywise will release their third LP, About Time, through Epitaph on June the 19th. The band's previous two records have sold more than 200,000 copies worldwide, but they're less than happy with the current popularity of punk. Punk used to be an underground thing, says guitarist Fletcher Draggy. Now though, there are kids into it. You've got teenage girls going to see bands like Offspring because it's trendy. It's lost its mystique. Something's wrong where I can walk down the street with pierced lips and a green mohawk not attracting a second glance. Sure, it's helping us sell more records and getting more people along to see us, but we want people to come to our shows because they like us, not because we're trendy in the classroom that week. The band, completed by Jim Lindbergh, Jason Fersk and Byron Mackin, are expected to make their UK live debut at this year's Reading Festival. I'd rather do a club tour, shrugged draggy, festival tickets and merchandising prices are too expensive, we're hoping to come back to Britain before the end of the year and do club dates, that's where we really shine. Down the metal supergroup featuring Pantera's Phil Anselmo, Corrosion Conformities, Pepper Keenan and members of Crowbar are working on their debut album in New Orleans. The quintet, Anselmo Keenan, guitarist Kirk Weinstein, bassist Todd Strange and drummer Jimmy Bowers are aiming for an August-September release for an as-yet-undecided label. They're considering offers from a number of major companies. At this stage, it looks like being a self-titled slab of wax. We've been doing this project, I guess, for about four years on and off, draws Weinstein, and we've just decided to try and put it out for real. It's just a side thing, but it's a lot of fun. We really think the material's good, so we're like, fuck it, let's go ahead and do it. It's very aggressive and heavy, but musically it's got more of a raw 70s type rock and roll feel than a metal or a hardcore thing. It's definitely very different from Crowbar and Pantera. It's probably closer to the new Corrosion of Conformity. At present, Anselmo's laying down his vocal tracks uh, in the studio. Down looks set to include 12 songs with the likes of Pillars of Eternity, Life of Temptations Wings, Stone the Crow and Jail. Tapes of the band's original two demos have been gobbled up on the trading circuit for years. We don't mind Shrugs Weinstein. In fact, we wanted a few of them to steep out into the underground just so people would start talking about it, kinda get a buzz going. The Ramones release what's set to be their farewell album, Adios Amigos, on June the 19th. We're going out in a blaze of glory, claims vocalist Joey Ramone. I think the future finally recognises the Ramones as the originators of punk. Now everyone sounds like us. As for our world tour, we intend to scour the planet. I want the Ramones to go out while we're good, adds guitarist Johnny Ramone. You have to deal with life without the applause. I'm looking forward to trying it. Adios Amigos features 13 tracks, including six co-written by original Ramones bassist DD and covers of Johnny Funder's I Love You and Tom Waits' I Don't Want to Grow Up. This is definitely a punk album, insists bassist CJ, but punk never really went away because we were always there. Iron Maiden have announced details of their first UK tour with vocalist Blaze Bailey. As this issue of the Big Kerrang was going to press, the Brit superstars confirmed that they will play the following shows. Wolverhampton Civic Hall November 4th, Glasgow Barrowlands 5th, Manchester Apollo 6th, Leeds Town & Country 8th, Newport Centre 9th and London Brixton Academy 10th. Tickets for all shows priced £15 plus booking fee go on sale on June the 30th. The band, Bailey, bassist Steve Harris, guitarist Dave Murray and Yannick Gears and drummer Nico McBrain are currently holed up in Harris's own Barnyard Studios in Essex putting the finishing touches to their eagerly awaited new album. 
Records news and basketball diaries, the soundtrack to this film, based on the book of the same name by 70s punk rock poet and songsmith Jim Carroll, will be issued by Ireland on July the 10th. It includes the following tracks, Catholic Boy, Jim Carroll and Pearl Jam, Riders on the Storm, The Doors, Dizzy, Green Apple Quickstep, Star the Cult, I've Been Down Flea and Blind Dogs by Soundgarden. Dicrops, the German techno metal outfit, will issue an album titled Free Odyssey of the Mind through Outrace Records on July 31st. Recorded in the band's own studios in Dusseldorf by band members Jürgen Engler and Chris Leitz, the album was mixed by Tony Platt. Free will be released in a limited edition 3D cover. Foo Fighters ex-Nirvana drummer Dave Grohl's new band will issue their debut single This Is A Call Winnebago through Roswell Parlophone on June the 19th. There will be an extra track, Podunk, on the 12-inch and CD versions. Social Distortion, the classic US punks will have their 1982 album Mummy's Little Monster reissued by Time Bomb Recordings on July the 18th. On the same day, SD have the albums Prison Bound and Mainliner re-released by the same label. The Vandals, the fabled US punks will have their Peace Through Vandalism EP and When in Rome Do As The Vandals LP reissued on one CD cassette and 12 inch vinyl on July 18th through Time Bomb Recordings. The band will also shortly have a new album titled Live Fast Diarrhea issued by Nitro Records, the label which is owned by Offspring's Dexter Holland. Tour news and the damned, the veteran punks play London Kentish Town Forum on July the 1st. Extreme, the Boston Rockers have added a date at Nottingham Rock City on July the 4th to their tour schedule. Fudge Tunnel, the trio play dates at London Highbury Garage June 23rd, Birmingham Foundry 25th, Leicester Princess Charlotte 28th, Pitch Shifter will also be on the bill in London. Sensefield, the highly rated US melodic post-hardcore act plays Southampton Joiners June 19th, Leeds Duchess of York 20th, Birmingham Foundry 21st and Camden Underworld on the 22nd. Shyhad, the New Zealand noise terrorists play Norwich Oval July the 11th, Southend Esplanade 12th, London LA2 13th, Nottingham Rock City 14th. Head like a whole support on all dates with Germans 44Xs also on the bill in London. Wasp, Blackie Lawless will be making personal appearances at the following venues. Newcastle Mayfair June the 16th 10pm, Buckley Tiroli 9.30pm, Liverpool Crazy House 11pm on the 17th. Mary Hill Exposure Rock Cafe 18th at 9pm, Hereford Exposure Rock Cafe 21st 9pm, Nottingham Rock City 23rd 10pm and Birmingham XL's 24th at 10pm. The new Wasp album Still Not Black Enough will be played on each one of these evenings. Mayhem America, the hottest US news as it happens. And a slight change this week to usual. We don't have news from Don Kay or Lisa Johnson, but what we have is a little piece on two big US bands. America's Most Wanted, Uncle Sam's two hottest bands, Blast Britain. They've got short hair, glasses, and no groupies. Yep, they may look like nerds, but Live and Weezer have taken the US by storm. So we start with the small piece on Weezer. Weezer returned to the UK this month for their second headlining tour. They've had to scrap the opening date of Wolverhampton Wolfram Hall and rearrange their London Astoria show because guitarist vocalist Rivers Cuomo is recovering from having his leg lengthened. He was born with one leg shorter than the other, explains guitarist Brian Bell, but he's finally got the money to pay for an op. They broke his leg, bolted metal plates onto the bone and attached his metal cage that he has to tighten every six hours. He can take comfort from the fact that Weezer's self-titled debut album has sold nearly 2 million copies in the US and crowned them king of the nerds. Ha, <laughs> chuckles Bell. 
I think it's a reaction to the whole grunge movement. When it was called to take heroin and not take showers. But it's definitely more of a label. I don't consider anyone else in the band to be a nerd. I was a nerd in 6th grade, but then I discovered drugs and punk rock. This is of course utter tosh. Weezer are total nerds in the quite fantastic video for Buddy Holly, where they outgeek the entire cast of Happy Days. They do nerdy things like wear polo neck sweaters, talk about opera, and in Bell's case, shave off their eyebrows. I look like such a freak, he gasps. I just ended up in front of the mirror with some scissors and a razor. Touring can definitely make you crazy. Weezer will follow up their UK visit with a US tour with Teenage Fan Club, and then they'll start on album number two. Any worries about being one-hit wonders? I don't waste any time at all thinking about it, sighs Bell. We're not going to be around for 10 years, but hopefully we'll last for five. The next piece is on Live. Live, the hottest band in America, hit the UK this week. The York, Pennsylvania quartet, whose second album, Throwing Copper, has just hit the number one spot on the US Billboard chart, play the following six days, Sheffield, Leadmill, London Astoria, Manchester University, Glastonbury Festival, Glasgow Garage, and Wolverhampton, Wolfram Hall. Live also re-released the track Selling the Drama as a single this week to coincide with the gigs. It's backed by bootleg live versions of Selling the Drama, The Dam at Otter Creek, I Alone and Operation Spirit are cut from the band's debut LP Mental Jewelry. The story behind the bootleg tracks is a strange one, as guitarist Chad Taylor reveals to Mayhem. We discovered this little bootleg in America. I won't name it because I don't want to promote the damn thing. It's just a live performance and the CD is I think being manufactured in Italy and shipped back into America on import. I don't know how the copyright laws work, but there's a loophole and they're getting away with it right now. So we figure if they can steal from us, we can steal from them. The bootleg sounded so good that we lifted four tracks from it and put it on our own CD. Cheap recording costs, you know. Taylor adds angrily, I think there's a major difference in recording shows for your own personal use and actually manufacturing CDs and trying to sell them. And anyone who wants to steal from me is my enemy and they better stay the fuck away from me. That calls for baseball bats to be taken up. I work really hard at this band. 14 months of touring, I've hardly seen my wife and these guys are cutting into my livelihood. That calls for war. After the UK shows, Live return to the US where they begin their biggest tour to date, playing 10 to 15,000 capacity open air shed venues. Support acts on the tour are alternative rock favourites PJ Harvey, Veruca Salt and Buffalo Tom. Getting PJ Harvey on the tour was THE great coup, infuses Taylor. She's just a really great songwriter. Life began recording their third album in January 96 and you can get a sneak preview of two new tracks, Freaks and Turn My Head and this week's UK gigs. Chad Taylor reveals, I don't actually know how many songs we've got for the next record, probably more than 10 but less than 15, they've been written on the road. We feel really confident about the new stuff although none of it's in the same vein as throwing copper, it's more sparse than it's ever been, they're still driving guitar but when it happens it really has impact. Life gave their songs the acoustic test when they performed an MTV Unplugged set which was screened in the UK last month but there are no plans for Live to follow Nirvana's Unplugged album release. It came out really well says Taylor but most of those records have been for older artists who've revitalised their career. Rod Stewart, Eric Clapton, had Kurt Cobain not died there would have been no Nirvana Unplugged record. Beavis, <laughs> you've never been to a concert in your life. Shut up! Concerts and the first concert reviewed this week is Reef live at the Camden Underworld London Tuesday June the 6th. This one is reviewed by Paul Elliott and this gets high voltage out of 5, 4 out of 5. They're pop stars now of course so when Reef hit the stage an hour late it wasn't so unexpected. It ain't easy sticking to deadlines when everyone suddenly wants a piece of you. But it's a pisser for fans who have to catch a bus or train home. At least there's no dicking around when Reef do get started. They blast out the best stuff from their debut album Replenish and they don't hang around long enough for anyone to get bored. 
Pop star jokes aside, there's a refreshing lack of pretense about Reef. They have star quality, but they're not wankers with it. Hell, singer Gary Stringer isn't even miffed when hordes of stage divers jostle during Naked. That said, if you come on so late, you can't expect your audience to be sober, even at London bar prices. Naked is a tune that really gets the beer flying, and not just because it's a top 10 smash hit and the theme to that bleeding mini disc ad that poor old Reef are sick of hearing about. Naked gets the Camden crowd jumping all over each other because it's hard rock and roll at its most simple and intuitive. There's nothing clever or contrived about it, the damn thing just rocks. No, and you just can't beat a good riff, and Naked is a killer riff. Not everything Reef do is as direct and in your face as Naked. Some songs mutate into freaky styled spaz out jams like the 10 minute encore Choose to Live, and when Reef mellow out they can be as subtle and slinky as the chili peppers, at their coolest, or free, the 70s dudes that Reef are always being likened to. And if you dig Reef, you've got to check out Free. Yes, if ever a band bridged the gap between the classic British hard rock of the early 70s, Free Zeppelin etc, and the new post Nirvana rock and roll, it's Reef. When Reef lock into the Zeppelin-esque groove of LP opener Feed Me, or get funky on Good Feeling you think the classic rock, um, but you also think 95, that surely is Reef's blessing. Live, they're getting better and better. Even in the underworld with Stringer often invisible behind one of those stupid fucking pillars, it's clear that something very big is happening. Therapy, The Wild Hearts, Paradise Lost, Terrorvision, get ready to add Reef to the list. The next review is for Fear Factory and above all, live at the Camden Underworld London on Thursday, June the 1st. This one is reviewed by Morat and this gets electrocution out of 5, 5 out of 5. Whilst it's still a little odd hearing hardcore noises normally associated with East Coast USA coming from the Southeast Coast UK, Southend being as much like New York as Bon Jovia like Napalm Death, it can't be denied that the scene here is producing some fine bands, above all, definitely being one of them. The four piece take a while to get the audience going, perhaps because they lack the confidence or arrogance of their US cousins. Frontman Tony Maddox, for example, appears nervous, understandable, but it doesn't really fit the band's crushing sound. Like many of these bands, you need to know the songs first to really get into them live. But using the mighty clutch as a yardstick, above all, are not far from being a damn fine hardcore band. But not just yet. For Fear Factory are in a totally different league. Their eclectic style allows them to play for more than one team at a time. They bat for the industrial side, score goals for death metal and occasionally commit fouls hardcore style. Tonight, they open with a berserk new track called Flashpoint and prove beyond doubt that they are star players. The main selling point with Fear Factory is their sheer ferocity and this evening, they are truly overflowing with it. Old favourites like Scum Grief are delivered like letter bombs, while new materials such as Replica and the brilliant self-biased resistor explode in your face at quite ridiculous volume. All the time, there is a constant flow of bodies flying on and off the stage. Frontman Burton C. Bell looks pleased with the reaction. It's been 8 months since they played live and they can still pull it off with style, and it's been 2 years since they played the UK, but no one has forgotten them. Being billed as Machine Head for 95 is even more cool when they round off a raging set with a cover of Agnostic Front's Your Mistake, helped out on vocals by Machine Head drummer Chris Contos and watched by the rest of the Machine Head from the side of the stage. Fear Factory work overtime while destroying the production line. No help needed. The next review is for Madball, Above All and Punishable Act live at the Marquee London on Friday, June the 2nd. Reviewed by Malcolm Doan, this gets short circuit out of 5, which is a 2 out of 5. <laughs> short circuit out of 5, I don't know what I'm going on about. 
Judging by the lukewarm response the two support bands received tonight, the place only had eyes for the ball. A pity really, the fans should have opened their ears to the efficient, if a little too synchronised, Germanic hardcore of Punishable Act. Not to mention the excellent, invigorating musical potential of Southend's above all, they will go far. But perhaps they just fancied a good laugh, because that's what they got from these Brooklyn buffoons. Madball are just plain silly. There's no other description for them. They're hugely entertaining, but for reasons the band will certainly hate, they were the hardcore equivalent of Spinal Tap. Completely uh, stupid and riddled with hysterical cliches. And it took a while to get to grips with the fact that the band were fronted by Wimbledon midfielder Vinnie Jones, obviously earning some pocket money for his summer holidays. Sure, Vinnie was using the name Freddy Crucian, but we know the truth. To add to the idiocy, the mercifully short set dedicated to late 70s oil legends The Business, who were all there in force, was punctuated by preposterous Manor War style poses from rhythm guitarist Vinnie Stigma. With roadies and fans alike randomly joining in on stage, it took some while for those fans not in the band to realise that the main set had actually ended and that the five members of Mad Boy had left the stage in the traditional search for an encore. Musically, everything sounded like everything else, be it oldies like NYC about their hometown and Down By Law or Newey's Unity and Streets of Hate. But who cares about the music when you've got the hardcore version of the Ant Hill mob out there going through their bag of tricks? Nah Vinny, stick to your day job. The next review is for Hootie and the Blowfish, live at the Wolfram Hall, Wolverhampton on Friday, May the 26th. This one is reviewed by Steve Beebe and this gets a high voltage out of 5, 4 out of 5. It's good to have people like Hootie and the Blowfish around, it makes you feel alright. In these mellow expressive songs lie a real sense of sweetness and light, the vibe being that life ain't really as bad as some bands make out. This illustrious American four-piece have taken their homeland by storm with total talent and absolute integrity. Tonight, in this sold out sweaty venue they try to open their account in the UK. So far, Hootie have missed out on the big time here, but judging by tonight's ecstatic audience it's obvious that the major breakthrough is fast approaching. US smash singles Hold My Hand and Let Her Cry narrowly avoided the UK top 40, but a band of this aptitude won't be held down for long. With gushing good time rockers like Hannah Jane and Only Wanna Be With You, this group warm an already sweltering audience and with ballads like the aforementioned Let Her Cry, they wipe the sweat from the brown. When the chips are really down, they can even throw in Running From An Angel, an irresistible chill out on the porch number which has simply got to be a hit single soon. Together with the equally successful live and collective soul, Hootie and the Blowfish represent the new face of commercial American rock. Poodle heads like Steelheart have been usurped by a less pretentious, more human alternative. It all seems so much more sincere, so much more believable. At the centre of it all is frontman Darius Rucker. His richest of voices fills the venue with consummate ease. Meanwhile, guitarist Mark Bryan, bassist Dean Felber and drummer Sonny Bave in musical sunshine and grin like madmen. They encore with Love The One You're With and disappear with polite thank yous. There's nothing to be had here except the real thing. Looks like happy days are here again. The last review this week is for 108, Dead Guy and Doc Hopper live at Coney Island High, New York on Saturday, May the 20th. Reviewed by Ray Zell, this one gets a high voltage out of 5, 4 out of 5. Like a funky coffin, the Coney Island High is elongated and claustrophobic. Doc Hopper are a frenetic foursome led by a geek in specs and featuring a maniac dreadhead bassist. A wonderful melodic hardcore band who spasmodically jumped around the stage like bionic idiots. Dead Guy are hardcore, hardcore, skin-headed meanies who keep letting smiles slip. Energetic overload but nothing to write home about in the originality department. Crowd go nuts. 108 are Krishna Hardcore. 
Angry young men with a message. A message though, that Grundy vocals fail to properly express, even to a lip reader. What with the vocalist aiming his vitriol at the drummer for most of the set. Intense, but things start to fall apart mid-performance. Bad karma, but the band take it in good humour with impromptu jamming and covering any old Hendrix or Cro-Mags tunes that pop into their collective stream of consciousness. But hey, three startlingly powerful bands. We now come to a piece in Kerrang! entitled Bog Grohl. Foo Fighters behind the scenes on their first UK gig. Ex-Nirvana man Dave Grohl is back leading new band Foo Fighters and we've issued Kerrang! man Paul Rees with a challenge to boldly go where no man has gone before and seek out the captain's log. It all started as a bet, in the name of pride and a princely £10 stake, I had to sneak into the Foo Fighters' first UK show at London's King College, locate the band's dressing room and circumnavigate a wall of pitbull face security guards. Then I was to bid Dave grow a fond good evening before using and photographing the very toilet where the tub fumber turned singer-guitarist frontman had presumably sat at minutes earlier. Piece of piss, right? I mean, it would have been some challenge two years ago when Dave was still in Nirvana, but Foo Fighters, punk rock, the band of the people, no fucking problem. Still, I would need a plan so foolproof, so devious and clever that it would in time become a staple diet at the SAS's training manual. He who dares wins. 5 o'clock. The red phone at HQ rings, a thick brummy accent announces, Alright mate, your backstage pass is on the door for you to pick up. Any problems, I'll be the bloke who looks like a fat Rod Stewart. It's Mark Wormersley. He manages the evening support band Bivouac. I shall use them to reach Grohl and his toilet. 6.30. Arrived at King's College and blend in with the crowd. I'm here to pick up a backstage pass, I announce grandly as I reach the entrance. I have decided to adopt the James Bond approach to potentially life-threatening situations. Tosser, a young man snorts as I stick on my pass with a flourish. I would have felled him with a well-timed dropkick to the skull, but there is a more pressing problem to overcome. My pass has aftershow only written across it. We are very much pre-show. 7.30. Inside the venue, it is smaller than the showers Nirvana used on their last US tour. There's approximately 20 feet between the front of the stage and the bar at the back. I immediately spot the double doors stage right that lead to the backstage area. I am of course coiled and ready to spring into action at a moment's notice. But first I decide to have a drink and a packet of salted peanuts. Then read the paper. Then count the tiles on the ceiling. 7.45. I am James Bond. I swagger through the rapidly growing crowd, hand my diet Pepsi shaken not stirred to a dazzling blonde, light a cigarette and glide through the aforementioned double doors, snorting at the no entry sign as I go. Where the fucking hell do you think you're going, booms a security guard who's built like a very large semi-detached house. No one, not even Scaramanga spoke to James Bond in this way. This may well account for my inadvertently breaking wind and collapsing in a heap on the floor. I'm picked up and deposited on the wrong side of the double doors. The James Bond approach has failed. 8 o'clock. I spot Mark, the fat Rod Stewart lookalike. I sneak up on his blind side, wrap him in a headlock and pin him to a wall. An access all areas pass in 5 seconds or your life. He rushes off, returning with a sticker the colour of a rotten banana. It has access all areas printed on it. I am back on code red or something. 8.10. I return to the double doors. I'm now Indiana Jones. I will reach Grohl's boudoir with a cunning mixture of rough charm and raw daring. I burst through the doors. I bellow. I'm here to meet the Foo Fighters. I stick out my chest and brandish my access all areas weapon. I throw a couple of kung fu chops for good measure. Fuck off, says the security guard. The Indiana Jones approach has failed. 8.15. Progress. I'm welcomed into Bivouac's dressing room. Unfortunately, it's on the opposite side of the building to the Foo Fighters hideaway, and it's the size of a shoebox. I reveal my mission to the affable Nottingham noise nicks. They laugh at me and ask me to leave. 
8.20. Bivouac play. They are very good indeed. Afterwards, I go back to their dressing room. It is now the only place I can go with my access all areas pass. 9.15. I have 15 minutes to reach Dave Grohl's toilet. The hall is now packed. Most of the audience look like they're too young to use the bar. I spot roughly 200 Nirvana shirts. I push through the throng and head for the increasingly imposing double doors. For the third time, I am now Norman Wisdom. I stagger through the doors, cackling madly, and do a rib-tickling pratfall on the floor. Can I see Mr. Grow? I chuckle in a nudge-nudge manner. The very large security guard now has an even larger friend. They say something about ambulances and crematoriums. I leave. The Norman Wisdom approach has failed. 9.30. I think I see Dave Grohl wandering around the balcony. I wave. The figure above looks mystified. I have forgotten my field glasses. I am gesticulating madly at a cleaning lady. 9.35. Sorry we kept you so long. With these words, Dave Grohl starts to Foo Fighters his first British show. Then the band played This Is A Call. It is quite brilliant. A scorching pop song. The crowd goes several shades of mental. None of these songs are about Kurt, insists Grohl. I wouldn't embarrass him like that. The Foo Fighters then slip into the jagged rush of I'll Stick Around. They play lots more. They're all great. The response is remarkable. Foo Fighters will be enormous. Fact. 10.25. I spot the Foo Fighters as UK press guy Anton. He attempts to hide behind a pillar. I ask him if he'd be so good as to introduce me to Dave Grohl later on. I don't mention toilets. He throws a bottle top at me. Then he promises a 14-year-old fanzine writer he'll take him upstairs to Grohl in a few minutes. 10.30. The Foo Fighters play their last song exhausted, it drones for a while, then it builds to a climax, drenches in feedback and dissonant melodies. I'm about to implore them enthusiastically, then I wait myself, I've lost the bet. Communication and the letter of the week this week begins, okay. I'm convinced. Faith No More's mic pattern has been reduced to only two speeds, dead slow and stop. I bought their new album King for a day in good faith, thinking that I would be in for plenty of shocks and surprises. You know, spine tingling guitar riffs, earth shattering drumming and orgasm inducing vocals and to a certain extent I wasn't disappointed. Unfortunately, the album also included tracks such as Ricochet, Evidence and the extremely slow and boring Take This Bottle. What a complete load of crap. But I consoled myself with the fact that at least I could fast forward past these blemishes on an otherwise perfect selection. But then what? My idols released this crap as singles and the B-sides are even worse. As has been previously pointed out in communication, the only way Faith No More will get people to buy this shite is to give away free patches. Look, Mike, what the hell is going on? I've been a fan since I heard The Real Thing aged 11. Even Faith No More's videos have lost their humour and unpredictability. Half the time Mike just looks and sounds pissed off. Sort it out, eh lads? Tabby Raymond from Whitby. Relive the wild and crazy glory days of Faith No More with its wacky Karen cap. Editor. I went to see Machine at the Brixton Academy last night and I want to take this opportunity to thank them for playing the best gig that ever was. Rob Flynn and the boys played everything they had including the whole of their album, the new song Frontlines and free covers. Plus, they played it with unbelievable energy and aggression. Thank you Machine Head, see you next time. Leander and Lara from Seaford. Machine Head would like to apologise to all their fans who turned up for their in-store PA at Rocket Records in Croydon on Wednesday May the 31st. The band was severely delayed by their bus breaking down, leaving them with no time to carry out the sign and then still get back to Brixton Academy in time for their sound check. 
The band were proud of the fact that, despite their obvious disappointment, their fans' behaviour was exemplary. Machina would also like to thank Mike Chapman and his staff at Rocket for being courteous and understanding under very difficult circumstances. Mark Palmer, Roadrunner Records. Gagging for a shagging. Way, Lee Marklew of Terrorvision. Wallop, you can sweep my chimney into oblivion anytime. Fanny Fishgusset. I would like to say a big thanks to Bill and the other Barnsley Big Teasers for a great gig at Historia on May 31st, with support from Girls School and China Beach. It made for one of the best heavy metal events I've attended in a long time. I saw Kerrang editor Phil Alexander in the audience, so you have no excuse for not giving them more coverage. It's about time someone gave a pat on the back to Saxon, as they proved at the Historia that they can compete with the best of them. Well done Saxon, don't let the bastards grind you down. Phil Parrish, London. As you so carelessly admitted to review Guns' Empire gig May 20th in your concerts pages, I've saved your asses and written it for you. Nice of me, eh? The support band Cobalt Jury was shite, although they provided some amusement with a lead singer whose lack of coordination was reminiscent of Morrissey on speed. Gun were basically gods. It's time the world woke up and realised that these four Scots are on a higher plane to us mere mortals and deserve to be treated accordingly. They, in my totally unbiased opinion as a long-time gun fan, were amazing. Mark Rankin, what can I say except marry me. Vanessa, the future Mrs Rankin from Essex. What has happened to the art of moshing? Why is every potentially violent pit, i.e. Fear Factory Camden, June the 1st, transformed into a 14 to 16 year old bouncy playground? As a 23 year old metal fan who's been in countless pits, I'm amazed that the kiddie elements seem to think that jumping up and down for 90 minutes constitutes moshing. What pisses me off more is that when the old style lessons in violence are employed, all the kiddies piss off and look at us like we're mad. Please, children, if you want to jump around like fairies on a trampoline, then stay at home. Bob Hoskins is face fuzz from Chigwell. Ill communication. The middle of Kerrang this week, where there's usually some kind of poster put out, is a piece on Dynamo Festival. Dynamo, the heaviest show on earth, Paradise Lost, Machine Head, Biohazard and more, destroyed the Dynamo Festival, massive shredding festival report, plus this Paradise Lost poster inside, with a picture of Paradise Lost looking very miserable. Now for anyone that remembers uh, MTV at this point, Dynamo, there was a whole Headbangers Ball episode dedicated to Dynamo 1995, it was hosted by Biohazard, and pretty much the lineup of Dynamo was, apart from a few other bands, all of the best bands on Roadrunner at that point. I had this on VHS, I taped it off the telly, and it seems like over the past few years, there's been a bit of a revival, as I've seen, with people posting about this show online. It, it was, it looks incredible, I wish I'd gone, it was um, Nailbomb's only show, I believe? They might have played another one. They released this as an album. I'm pretty sure this was Nailbomb's only show. There was about 100,000 people there. And it just looked like the most incredible gig. Um, if you haven't seen the footage that's on... Uh, it's, all, it's all on YouTube. The whole thing's on YouTube. If you haven't seen it, go and check it out. Doggy Dog doing Who's the King. And pretty much people from the stage to the horizon are po going up and down. It's really an incredible thing to see. Anyway, so this piece is a live report. So I'm just going to go ahead and read that to you. All right. Paradise Lost, Machine Head, Biohazard, Type of Negative. Just four of the bands that shredded Dutch Megafest the Dynamo on June the 2nd to the 4th. Lager drenched lags Chris Watts and Jason Unop shake themselves senseless in a field with 150,000 Euro fans. I stand corrected. I thought it was 100,000. 150,000. Jesus Christ. Friday. 
Skyclad are big news out in Europe and they are taking the weekend seriously. They play a blinding show, get seriously bladdered, camp out in a hire van, have a fight and then drive home. 30,000 people stuffed into a tent designed to hold half that amount will know that there can be no sweeter medicine than spinning Jenny and Emerald to cure the effects of a day's overindulgence. Ridiculously effective. Sometimes, the gaping gulf between UK and mainland European tastes becomes apparent at places like the Dynamo. Our own My Dying Bride may be a fine classy band, but they might have problems filling the pubs some nights in England. Here, at about 1 in the morning, they find themselves faced with about 4,000 wide-eyed Euro fans, jam-packed into a huge tent, foaming at the gills with the excitement of witnessing their every fiddle stroke with doomy hump. It looks fantastic from the stage, and the six-piece make the most of it, banging through both older material and new stuff from the Angel and the Dark River. Superbly, the setlist taped to their monitors features a mere five songs. Can't they remember the fuckers? But My Dying Bride show tonight that they've become much more than just that band who sound like old Paradise Lost but can't write songs. The fact that Tiamat headlined this mini festival tonight is evidence that European tastes sometimes go the wrong side of bollocks. The doomy atmosphere merchants are greeted like Pink Floyd, the tent is still packed, and you can't get in to see these titans of tedium if you value your ribs. Now there's an eldritch horror. Time for a beer, eh? Saturday. Motor Psycho managed to give it some MTV friendly super fuzz first thing in the morning and looked dwarfed by the sheer scale of Dynamo. Their riffs are too thin to reach much further than the front row and the Norwegian quintet looked petrified. Motor Psycho basically remained an unknown quantity. Mental Hippie Blood look cool and moody until the singer turns up and makes him look like Golden Earring. It's classic trad metal, strutting and huffing about up there like an old iron horse on its way to the pit face. Spot the outfit who think therapy are a dance band. Madball may feature former agnostic front members and they may look a bit hard, gulp, but at present they seem like the hardcore band we really don't need. Nothing's memorable from their set except the same old riffs, a banner with Madball NYC on it and countless announcements of this song goes out to, solid but numbing. The time has come to witness Sepultura's Max Cavalera and Fudge Tunnel's Alex Newport finally playing their Nalbum project live. Sep's man Igor Cavalera is on the drum stall for half the set, alternating with formidable ex-Dead Kennedy's man D.H. Peligro. Neurosis is Dave Edwardson Pummel's bass, joined by Biohazard's Evan Seinfeld for one song. So do they crush? Yeah, although the sound man clearly doesn't want them to. Cavalera and Newport devote maximum effort to tracks like Cockroaches, with Max typically going out of his mind, but the wind occasionally picks up an awesome riff and hurls it around the field like a rag doll. It's rough-edged, hateful and imperfect, but that's what Nailbomb's all about. Fear Factory would have had to do something pretty stupid to not be one of the festival's greatest hours. Sure enough, they go off like a rocket and are every bit as incendiary as their new demanufactured album suggests. They're not including too much new stuff in the set, but we still get about half of demanufacture. A new breed almost brings the fucking stage down. The Lords of Millennium Metal triumph again. We are not fucking Queensryche, says Warrior Souls' Corey Clark. You can turn that smoke shit off. Corey is undoubtedly as cool as a cat and the only real showman here. Remember stars, bright, brash and unbalanced? Fuck all these black t-shirts and angry shouty songs about zilch. Warrior Soul instead opt uh, open with Love is the Drug and Dynamo kinda just blinks at such an unfamiliar onslaught. Whilst guitarist X-Factor drop kicks microphone stands and Pink McClanahan wields his bass like a machine gun. You can see Corey crash to the floor like young Iggy bursting muscles to reach the crowd with tripping on ecstasy. He partially succeeds, but this is not Warrior Soul's finest moment. Grip Inc. in contrast raised the comedy level to unintentionally heady heights. It's the most unconvincingly guttural headbang in fuck me bondage trousers since fight. 
Dave Lombardo is the world's worst drummer in the world's most average band. They are too old to start rapping crap about gangs and way too ordinary to be machine head. Trading on former glories is a desperate tactic and especially sad when Grip Inc are Uriah Heap for this biohazard nation. We are the band who don't conform to nothing announces that jerky singer. Fuck the Rolling Stones, they play paint in black and make it sound like Wasp. Doggy Dog could have been great today. A party band to temper all the doomy diatribes, instead they deliver a set with only a couple of songs shooting a fun fix through your veins. Frontman John Connor does pull off the day's most amusing stunt by crowd surfing literally on his surfboard across the heads of the first 20 rows. And in the club situation, even Doggy Dog's weak songs get you going, but with a flat sound in a moist field, they're screwed. Furthermore, they just don't know when to leave, attempting more fake climaxes than the least honest girlfriend you've ever had. Hey Dynamo, you've been great, four more bars. Hey Dynamo, Doggy Dog love you, four more bars. Hey Doggy Dog, get off the fucking stage. Type of negative are magnificent, performing easily the most atmospheric set of the weekend. Darkness is approaching and Peter Steele's imposing shadow is towering on stage, stopping from a bottle of red in between some of the most mountainous slabs of goth metal you've ever heard. It's one of those classic experiences to scare your grandchildren with, aided as ever by Steele's desert dry sense of humour. Biohazard's Evan Seinfeld takes the mic just before Typo's all-consuming encore of Black Number One, Little Miss Scare All, and tells the masses that this band are alright okay. Judging by the booming applause, it looks like Type and Negative are welcome in Europe once again. Headliners Paradise Lost have the natural advantage of darkness and they know how to use it. Beneath a blazing canopy of white and purple lighting, Enchantment's piano moodscape center shiver right to the back of this enormous field. It is a classic metal entrance and one that even the rain cannot ruin. There is little else to do except stand back in awe. The roars that greet everything Paradise Lost deliver, even the as yet unfamiliar material from Draconian Times is proof that Nick Holmes is steering this grand ship towards worldwide stardom. Stuff flashes through your head, everything from Bella Lugosi to Marillion, the hardware movie to Last of the Summer Wine, as Paradise Lost ribbon to the likes of Once Solemn, The Last Time and Sweetness. Encores of Ember's Fight and As I Die close the set after 75 minutes and you realise that Iron Maiden were only ever half as good as Paradise Lost tonight. Sunday Everyone's bleary-eyed and rain is threatening. Eleven pictures play the arse end of the festival to a field of sunburnt and hungover diehards. It's a tough bullet to bite, but the fledgling Swedish quartet make the most of an admirable sound and cheer up more than a few souls. It's Pearl Jam in all but name, but sufficiently lightweight not to irritate. Downset once again proved themselves to be one of the most credible rap metal bands around, storming through their riotous standards like Anger and Body Cry. Their unfussy arrangements ensure that the guitars cut through well and Breed the Killer absolutely rips. Ray Oropesa and co find time for a new song Touch, which starkly alternates between sensitive doodling and rage. Sounds good, if a little uneasy. Still, My American Prayer ends their set with a dumb dumb bullet. Our festival not noted for its eclectic bill, it's a pleasure to see Dub Wars Benji standing on that stage, ranting against racism and to deafening cheers. But that's not the only reason why this is one of Dynamo's best sets. Dub War are completely excellent, full stop, rhythmically burning and vocally intense. Listen to Strike It or Go It and tell me your limbs don't waggle. The gods of metal decide to take the piss out of trouble. The sky's open and it sheets down. So frontman Eric Wagner and his trad warhorse play to a field of makeshift polythene tents and a rapidly escalating mudslide. It's not the music to raise these sodden spirits. Trouble plod with big steel boots for a solid set but it can never compete with warmth and shelter. Sorry, but I'm not fucking amphibious. 
Life of Agony played this festival last year and it's tempting to believe we've all been transported back in time to that very performance in 94. The New Yorkers showed promise but had one song. This time in 95, the New Yorkers show promise and have one song. Yep, it's this time. And all this despite the band having a whole LP's worth of new material. It ain't looking good, much like this sodden field. Machine Head deliver pretty much the same crowd killing set that's just ripped through the UK. Here it's obvious that a combination of Burn My Eyes, the band's street cool image and constant MTV exposure have finally turned Rob Flynn into Jesus Christ. New song The Frontlines cranks up a pulverising riff, now there's a surprise before exploring a few unusual tangents for the band. For their cover of the Chromax Hard Times, Biohazard's Bobby Hamble joins in on vocals. It's that crazy dynamo thing. If you're hanging around in the wings and you're a mate, then grab a mic. Nothing like a bit of head. Biohazard have one song and they play it for an hour. It's not a bad song if you want to start a fight or throw beer or pass out or run around grabbing girls' tits like a twat. Biohazard supply a soundtrack for the hooligans' holiday. They sounded like a poor man's Pantera with better haircuts, macho by numbers, perfect for more than the pissed up Europeans who have come to this field with the sole intention of punching the air and throwing cardboard beer trays at Biohazard. Dynamonington is Europe's largest festival and totally devoted to heavy metal. In that sense, Biohazard and Paradise Lost were the ideal headline attractions. Cynics might flinch at the trad bias and lack of variation, one fat grunt in the American agitator is much the same as another, but the organisers know the formula works and then some. It was rumoured before the show that Biohazard were going to trash the stage. They didn't, opting instead to invite Max Cavalera out for a knockabout and sign off Dynamo 95 in true goofball style. So Donington, is it on or off? Who cares? There are no singles reviewed in this week's Kerrang! So we now come to this week's cover stars, Pearl Jam, world exclusive interview. Hello, this is Stone, as in Stone Gossard. Guitarist with multi-million selling Pearl Jam and he's on the bloody blower to Kerrang. Claire Douse picks up the receiver. It isn't every day that a man who's sold close to 45 million records phones the Kerrang offices. But my phone has just rung and Stone Gossard is on the other end of the line. In three years, Pearl Jam have gone from being a promising rock quintet riding out of Seattle on the tide of grunge to one of the top money making music machines of the decade. If you called him a rock star to his face, Stone Gossard would probably cringe. He would definitely correct you in his firm and confident voice, telling you that he's just a career musician who's been lucky enough to fulfil all his childhood dreams, who just happened to be making the right music at the right time in the right place. Three years and probably several million dollars on, Stone Gossard hasn't changed. The last time I met Stone Gossard, we had dinner, Italian, on a cold day in February 1992 with some mutual friends. Stone held court. Highly articulate, obviously intelligent, often opinionated and always entertaining. He revealed an impressive ability to tell a good red wine by its smell. He called the waiters sir and had them eaten out of his hand. After dinner, we strolled around the corner to the now defunct London venue Yulu, where Pearl Jam were ending their first and today only UK tour. It was just above freezing, but Stone loped along in knee length shorts, his legs red with the cold, he'd probably been wearing the same gear for several days, his then long hair was scraped back and he looked anonymous, and skint. He left us at the door and we next saw him, if anyone could see in the frenzied crush, on stage with Pearl Jam for a rambling shambling set which ended with a chaotic 20 minute jam of Neil Young songs and frontman Eddie Vedder swinging from the curtains. At the party afterwards, it was Stone who mingled easily with the suited record company bosses. Eddie Vedder, meanwhile, never appeared, preferring to stay outside and talk to fans. Three years later, 
Three years of almost total press silence, of ten selling as many millions as its name, of the haunting second album verses and the eclectic if not always totally successful Vitology, Stone Gossard is as articulate, intelligent, opinionated and entertaining as ever. Those three years have not always been easy, but nothing has blunted his appetite for music or dampened his energy for working at a pace which would leave normal people dead on their feet. Aside from three multi-million selling Pearl Jam albums, Stone has also recorded the 1993 Brad album Shame, a critically acclaimed work completed from start to finish in a spare fortnight with some friends from Seattle. He oversaw the reissue of Mother Love Bone's debut album and watched it sell a million three years too late. Between tours he endorsed the American pro-choice lobby and began the much publicised fight against the monopoly of Ticketmaster on US concert ticket sales. And through it all, he always remained an enthusiastic fan of music. Which is why he's now set up his own label, Loose Groove, the first four releases of which are due for release on July 17th. There'll be much more about Loose Groove here next week, in Stone's own words, but like everything he touches, it'll probably turn to gold, not that he needs the money. Stone runs Loose Groove with his business partner Reagan Hagar from an office in downtown Seattle. Reagan drummed on the Brad album and was also the third member of semi-legendary 80s Seattle outfit Malfunction. He also used to own one of the hippiest coffee bars in town. Stone is in the best position possible for a record boss. He's first and foremost a music fan, but from Pearl Jam he has all the knowledge of how to deal with record companies, of what can go wrong and how to handle it when it does. He laughs, I know what fights to pick and what fights not to. Now, I can pass it on to bands we'll be dealing with, so that at some point they can start their own labels too. Demand their own labels. That's what I did with Sony, I demanded my own label. You just went to the boss of Epic Records and said, I want my own label? Yep, or I'll quit the business. He's joking. Sony has been very supportive. They're being bold and allowing me to do that. It's the way of the future for them. They've realised that these satellite labels of which there are an increasing number, the ones run by artists but which report back to the main company make a really good balance between the business and the music. Right now, creatively, there's a big separation between artists and label in a big corporation. A&R is a fine job but most A&R guys are not musicians. They've never been in a band. Understanding what it's like to go through the ringer in a band, that's something you can't possibly know unless you've been through it. Stone would probably say that Pearl Jam have been through the ringer. Despite their colossal success, they're now on their fourth drummer after the sacking of Dave Abrazese last year. Frontman Eddie Vedder seems increasingly fragile and guitarist Mike McCready had a well-publicised brush with drug addiction. Stone Gossard copes with the pressures of life in Pearl Jam by working even harder. He is the business brain behind Pearl Jam as well as their studio whiz. Rumour has it that it was Stone's idea for the band to refuse interviews and photo sessions, to stop making promo videos for the band's singles, to build up the band's mystique. Stone laughs. He laughs a lot. I'm definitely a control freak in my own way, but I've learned to give up control too, which is harder. I've learned to delegate to other people but also to be delegated too. I've certainly still got my own ego and my own desires, but in Pearl Jam I'm very much a team player. Did you ever find it hard to fit into a team when you're obviously a leader who likes to get things done your own way? Definitely. That's what's allowed me to survive. That's what's made me strong. Going through this whole crazy process with Pearl Jam and feeling that it's my role to hold things together. I look at Pearl Jam as being my main job and my family. And your first and foremost priority should be your band and your family and making sure that that relationship is stable. From there, I guess anything is possible. We haven't seen much of Pearl Jam in the UK in the last three years. After that Yulu show, they've played here precisely four times. Two sold out shows at Brixton Academy and two in Finsbury Park in 92 with The Cult and 93 with Neil Young. That day with Neil Young, God, 
We were hacking. You know when guys are up there and playing hard and not really sounding that good? That's what we were doing. Stone and Pearl Jam have just finished writing and recording with Young for his new album Mirrorball, due for release on June 26th. And at this year's Reading Festival, Mike McCready, bassist Jeff Ament and new drummer Jack Irons will back the legendary Canadian grandfather of grunge as he headlines the closing day of the festival. Was recording Mirrorball at Young's invitation? Absolutely. He felt there was some energy there and it would be a good thing to do. Just get in the studio and see what happened. He totally rocks. Working with him was just surreal. You're there, just thinking, okay, that's Neil Young. We just went in there and hacked as well as we could. That's what I do, I'm a professional hacker. The stuff for Mirrorball was recorded in Seattle in about a week. The Brad album was finished in a fortnight and Vitology almost as fast. Pearl Jam have already started working for their fourth LP, which Stone hints could surface before the end of 95. I'm into not really thinking about things too much. I like to find some spare time and then just do something and get it out real quick. That way, it'll probably be something that'll really represent where you're at. You're into gut instinct rather than forward planning? Stone laughs. Yeah, I am now, but next week I'll probably be into making a year-long fucking record. So why have Pearl Jam ignored the UK for three years? Stone pauses. The last three years have been pretty intense, with all of us just trying to sort our lives out in this new situation. We haven't toured much anywhere, but we're having a great time playing with our new drummer Jack Irons. We're really excited about having him in the band, and now we're getting ready to go into the next stage. We're a little bit older and wiser, then we'll be ready to come back and play the UK. It should be soon. But he won't say any more than that, and don't hold your breath for any new videos either. The band haven't made one single since uh, Jeremy was released as a single in 92. We didn't make a conscious we're not ever going to do videos again decision. It was more a case of every time we had the opportunity to do a video, we all looked at each other and said, do we want to do a video? No, I don't think so. Why? When you turn on MTV, it's exciting to see new bands and new videos that you haven't seen before. But the chances of you creating something really unique that eventually becomes painful for people to watch are just so great. I feel so good about not having done anything like that for three years. It's the same with interviews. At the time of 10, we did a lot of press. We only have so many things that we can say, and we just thought that we'd said it all. We're just going to get better at making records. That's what we really want to do. Right now, Pearl Jam are concentrating on their imminent US tour, their first with new drummer Jack Irons. Stone is full of enthusiasm for the track on which all dates sold out in a flash. Jack is a wonderful guy and an old friend, and it seems to be working out really well. We're pushing him in ways that he hasn't been pushed in a long time, and he's definitely pushing us in ways that we haven't been pushed before. Over the next year, he's going to be a very integral part of our development. He makes everybody sane. Prior to the tour, Pearl Jam took on the might of Ticketmaster, the agency who have a virtual monopoly on concert ticket sales in the US. During the tussle, Stone presented the band's case at a US government congressional committee meeting in an effort to get the law changed. He laughs loudly at the memory. It was really silly. I can't even tell you that it was intimidating. They all wanted autographs afterwards. Most of them thought we were a bunch of loudmouth jerks with too much money. As a band, will you continue to support causes that are close to your heart? Yep. It's just a matter of picking the right ones and being into those for the right reasons. You can definitely bog yourself down by trying to do too many things at one time or trying to save the world. Being in a band is actually a very difficult thing and the bottom line should be keeping your band together and keeping on making good music. Stone is now late for a meeting. I tell him that it's 10 in the evening here and that half of the Crane staff have gone off to watch Saxon. Oh man he rolls, that's a fucking blast from the past. I had a few pictures of Biff in his white spandex pants on my wall. The enormous schlong that guy had. So you're not going to regress to the spandex and eyeliner days you did dabble during your days in Green River. 
You never know. I'm always up for a fucking novelty and some cross-dressing. I'm fully into cross-dressing. Now it's me who can't stop laughing. To cap it all, there remains one final ludicrous question that just has to be asked. Stone, tell me, is grunge dead? From the other side of the world, Stone Gossard almost bellows my ear off. Baby, he booms, grunge will never die. Basically, we're heavy metal, aren't we? We made a record, it's so heavy you couldn't get off the turntable. We now come to albums, and the album of the week this week is These Days by Bon Jovi. Reviewed by Paul Elliott, this one gets 4Ks. First off, Bon Jovi just don't make bad albums. Okay, their second album, 7800 Fahrenheit, was a bit of a turkey, but it was made by a band still struggling to find their groove, and that was way back in 1985. Since Slippery When Wet in 1986, Bon Jovi have really had their shit together. Last year's greatest hits album, Crossroad, proved as much. Great songs, the damn thing was full of them. And hearing classics like Living on the Prayer, Keep the Faith and In These Arms back to back, you remember just how good Bon Jovi really are. And so to album number six. In a career that has seen Bon Jovi graduate from cult hard rock wannabes to, well, the biggest rock band on earth, really. Nobody's expecting any big surprises from these days. Bon Jovi's biggest tests were previous albums like New Jersey and Keep the Faith, the former following the mega platinum triumph of Slippery, the latter following the onset of grunge and the subsequent death of party rock. No such pressures exist now. All Bon Jovi had to do on these days is relax a little and write a few more great tunes. Simple. So what do you get for your 15 notes? Will you get one surprise opener? Hey God, it's the Colts Firewoman Reborn. How ironic that it emerges mere weeks after the Wolfchild, Ian Asprey and Billy Bother Duffy broke up. And you get at least a half dozen certified smash hits. This ain't a love song, it's already in the charts and it ain't even the strongest ballad here. Maybe there are too many slowies on the album, but when you're as good as Lie To Me, it's not such a major problem. That said, Bon Jovi are at their best when they push it up a gear. The title track is the real killer, an epic in the style of Dry County, where John Bon Jovi lives out his Bruce Springsteen fantasies to the full. Could this be John's born to run? Possibly. Should John write a few more in this vein? Definitely. Second best is Guitar Lies Bleeding In My Arms. Its title suggests the kind of pomp that Jim Steinman creates for Meatloaf, but the song is an earthy, gritty, broken-hearted tale. There's even a grunge riff incorporated near the finish. But no, Bon Jovi haven't done a Motley Crew. Why should they? Even with the charts packed with grunge and punk on both sides of the Atlantic, Bon Jovi are proving that classic hard rock is very much alive. Here then, it's the biggest rock record of 1995. The next review this week is for the album Let Your Dim Light Shine by Soul Asylum. This one is reviewed by Mark Blake and this gets 4Ks. Proving the maxim that the good guys always come last, it took American garage band Soul Asylum a decade of paltry sales and virtual obscurity before they finally broke through. The fact that their platinum seller 1993's Grave Dancers Union was their best record yet just enhanced the fairy tale quality of this particular poor boy's made good story. Playing a gig in the White House and having your lead singer step out with Winona Ryder doesn't appear to have knocked them off balance. Let Your Dim Light Shine is just the sort of record Soul Asylum would have made had its predecessor only sold 10 copies. It doesn't ditch all traces of the band's punk rock past, nor does it shy away from the occasionally mawkish balladry that made the last record such a money spinner. Instead, it leaves you wondering how something so simple can sound so good. Opening song Misery can be memorised after one hearing and should assume squatters rights at the top of MTV's next playlist. While the ballads, to my own devices, 
Promises Broken and Eyes of a Child have a familiar flavour peppered by frontman Dave Perna's lager-soaked croak. This is Old Turf Revisited and Perna dutifully hams it up as the oldest slacker in town, making you believe that dollars in the band and a Hollywood starlet on his arm hasn't mended his busted heart. The album's toughest songs are its strongest. Cage Rat is a mandatory punk rock thrash along but Shut Down, Hopes Up and Cruel are all brash, spiky and very immediate, offering a welcome nod back to Soul Asylum's almost classic Hang Time album. The new collection peaks halfway with Bittersweet Heart which struts along like Tom Petty on Prozac and Strings of Pearls, a lyrically rambling discourse about prostitutes and two-headed presidents which rhymes funeral with urinal and is the album's only curveball. If there's a suggestion that the band are actually sleepwalking through all this, then so be it. Soul Asylum rarely fluctuate from their chosen course, and while there is nothing here that hasn't been done countless times before, it's rarely been done so well. Backhanded compliments all round, Let Your Dim Light Shine is one of least demanding but most listenable rock albums to have made it out this year. The next record reviewed is The Root Down EP by Beastie Boys, reviewed by Meanie This Gets 4Ks. The Beastie Boys can't put a foot wrong these days. Musical mix and match is a difficult thing to pull off. Stirring up lots of bright colours tends uh, to result in a horrible brown sludge. The Beasties, however, manage to ram raid every musical genre in sight and slap them together like it was meant to be. Root Down, a memorable cut from Ill Communication is present here in its original form. Funky in the drums department, fluff on the needle sample of shaft guitar, but a pruned free zone mix is stranger, braver and more economical with the vocals floating around in empty space and a sinister brooding bass line bringing Portishead to mind. Well smart. There follows a bunch of live tracks recorded on the last Euro Trek. They include a lolloping reverbed out version of The Time To Get Ill, the full on primal punk assault of Heart Attack Man and Time For Living and a particularly venomous rendition of The Maestro. As EPs go, it's quite large in both senses of the word. Next up in Kerrang! and after the 4K review they just gave them for Let Your Dim Light Shine, we have the Kerrang! interview. Don't mention Winona. He's Dave Perna, frontman of million selling US star Soul Asylum and his squeezes Winona Ryder. He might also kick you in the teeth if you ask him about his better half. Chris Watts treads carefully. The artist formerly known as Big Nose is taller than you might imagine. He still looks like he's yet to sell one solitary copy of his first demo tape rather than 4 million copies of his band's seventh album. The fact that he has sold 4 million copies of his band's seventh album probably makes him a millionaire. But it's safe bet to presume that the money Dave Perna earned from Soul Asylum's Grave Dancers Union record has not been spent on a new wardrobe. Over the past two years, Dave Perna has become everything to everyone. He's become the super scruffy boyfriend of Hollywood starlet Winona Ryder, though this is an absolute no-go area for probing journalists. And he has become a friend of the music biz by selling a heap of records. He has even become buddies with US President Bill Clinton. The most important point of all, however, is that Dave Perna remains one of the greatest songwriters of his generation. Ginger might have come close. Senseless Things and Now A Wild Heart Mark Kedd's closer still. Yet Soul Asylum, Dave bassist Carl Muller, guitarist Dan Murphy and new drummer Sterling Campbell now have the checks to prove it. Today, slouching around the band's temporary rehearsal studio in New York, Dave Perna is perhaps the most successful underachiever you can imagine. He still refuses to take this media circus seriously, yet knows he must talk about a new album, Let Your Dim Light Shine, because that is a small part of his job. 
You get the overwhelming feeling that Dave Perna would much rather be somewhere else, playing pool, drinking beer, meeting folk who have stories to tell him, watching TV, playing his old Telecaster for hours on end until he stumbles upon that perfect rhyme. The Grave Dancers Union Tour ended last year on your birthday, April 16th in Osaka, Japan. How on earth do you actually physically come off the road after two years? Yeah, the last show. The Japanese are so polite they would listen intently to the band that they wouldn't stop playing. I think we played for about three hours. Basically, when a tour like that ends, you go home and try real hard to sleep. Then you wake up at four in the morning. It was so uncomfortable that I actually went to another room and lay down on the floor. I wasn't used to the comfort. I kept thinking I was in Hamburg. As a band, you just don't speak to each other for a while. It's not so much that you're sick of the sight of each other, it's just a time to forget about everything. It's time to get reacquainted with everything you left behind two years ago. Our wives and girlfriends talk. Dan and Cole, who both still live in Minneapolis, get together for barbecues and stuff. I mean, I don't seek out Dan and go, hey, let's hang out. It's just not like that anymore. At the end of the tour, Solar Sign and Party Company with drummer Grant Young. It must have seemed pretty ruthless to let a close friend go after almost 10 years. On a personal level, it was really hard. It's not easy to part ways with a friend. On an idealistic level, it was like giving up on a dream. Four friends getting together to make music, but you realise you have to do it for the greater cause, which is the music. Musically, sometimes, it would result in a bunch of guys sitting around backstage after a show just staring at the floor. It got really lame and it put a lot of stress on the band, but it was always a gig the next day, so you figured you could make up for it. Yeah, I imagine Grant's bitter with a capital B, but I guess when everybody gets settled into their new thing, we'll sit down and have a few beers together, but until then. Does Let Your Dim Light Shine reflect any of the past three years? When you first started touring Grave Dancers Union, for example, you were opening for the Spin Doctors. Yeah, right. We never really started cashing in on our success as much as we could have done. But this record is not Soul Asylum's The Wall. It's not a statement on celebrity or anything. That celebrity is just something that we have to deal with. Dim Light is no more a reflection than any other record. I can listen to a record we made nine years ago and it would remind me of what I was thinking about at that time. During recent live shows in New York and Amsterdam, your worldwide hit Runaway Train has been conspicuous by its absence. Does this mean you're going to give it a decent burial? Oh, I don't know. Do you want to hear it again? Sure. Well, okay, we'll play it. But seriously, if some 12-year-old piece of shit comes to a show and wants to hear that song, then sure, why not? I'm not going to spy him to look cool. That song was weird for us. We were in this bar in Germany once and these guys started talking to us about the runaway train leading to nowhere. We were like, what the fuck are you talking about? Did you not find it weird that Runaway Train did more for the teenage runaway problem in America? The video for the song helped locate dozens of missing youngsters than any government initiative. I think the beauty of it is that nobody would have probably cared about that song if we as a band hadn't already put 10 years into it. I don't think magazines and stuff felt like they were dealing with a flavour of the month. Maybe for that one song a lot of people got to hear the older stuff. Maybe people are going, we're fucking sick of Runaway Train. It pisses you off doesn't it? Yeah, sometimes, in one sense I don't really care what fucking song people like. We worked as hard on all of them. It's a pretty non-committal way to listen to a band, to just go out and spend 99 cents on a single. You won a whole bunch of awards for that song. Does it make it any sweeter? Well, we had an early exposure to that whole awards thing. We tied with Huskadoo for best garage band in this awards thing 8 or 9 years ago. The whole thing was later exposed as a hoax. Songs like Nice Guys Don't Get Paid and String of Pearls seem more political to me than anything Rage Against the Machine have ever recorded, but you don't get much credit as a political band. Well, thank you, because I like to think of it in that way. 
It's not something you have to be overt about. It's maybe different in Europe than it is in America, but really, thank you. Because knowing you think that way makes me very happy. I hate American politics. It's an industry. It's about shaking hands, kissing babies, doing photo shoots and interviews. I could never be president. I couldn't be president of my local neighborhood. So I guess a return visit to the White House is out of the question. You know, let's see who runs against Bill Clinton. It might be the most evil fucker in the world, and then I might do something for Bill. Finally, Soul Asylum's epitaph. Genius or fake? All you could write is, I did my best. That's all anyone can do. As corny as it sounds, if it all ended now, I could look back on the band as a definite success. We did what we wanted to do to the best of our abilities. You could make a great 12-song Soul Asylum compilation. It'd be called Greatest Misses. Chart Attack and the number one album this week is Further Down the Spiral by Nine Inch Nails. Number one in the indie LPs is Domination by Morbid Angel. And number one in the singles chart is This Ain't A Love Song Bon Jovi. The reader's chart this week comes from Dan Peach from Telford. His chart begins one number of the beast Iron Maiden, two Metalworks 7393 Judas Priest, three Don't Be Happy Just Worry the Wild Hearts, four Symbolic Death, five Hotter Than Hell Kiss, six Deadly Stings Scorpion, seven Back in Black ACDC, eight Strength in Numbers Taiketo, nine Soul Destruction The Almighty and ten Wings of Heaven by Magnum. The star tracks this week come from Extreme's Nuno Betancourt. His chart begins 1. The Bend Radiohead, 2. Elastica Elastica, 3. New Demos by The Elevator Drops, 4. Tales from Topographic Oceans, yes, 5. Mike Mangini's Drum Solo. Next week, in Kerrang Back Issues, Tents Out for the Land, Offspring and the Black Crows get set for Glastonbury. Also, Reef, the coolest band in Britain, Stone Gossard, the full story behind his new label Loose Group, Iron Maiden, Steve Harris Speaks, plus massive Maiden competition. Chaos 95, full scam on the Kerrang Tour, the hottest event of the year. Van Halen, no holding back with their toughest interview ever. And save over £20 at Virgin, exclusive Kerrang vouchers. Plus, win free beer and Phoenix tickets. As always, thank you so much for listening. It really means a lot. Uh, we will be back next Wednesday as usual. If you would like to leave a review on Apple Music or Spotify, that would be great. And no worries if not. Until next week, we'll talk to you soon. Bye for now.